How does it feel to you when you are provoked? Ooh, yeah, good. I wish everyone could have seen you. I want you to think about a moment recently when you have been provoked, when someone provoked you or stirred something in you. There's a verse in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, that we're going to really be diving into today. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, and I've got it up here on the screen for you. Thanks so much, Benjamin. It basically, it says this. Paul's in the middle of talking to families and what it looks like to be a family, and then he offers this call to fathers and parents and says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's interesting, if you look at different versions of scripture, that Greek word there for provoke, it's actually a kind of a complicated and deep word. So different versions use different words, and some of the different words that are used there for the word provoke are embitter, aggravate, antagonize, or exasperate. All great words. And so one Bible dictionary, one that I really like to use, it's called Lo and Nida, are the two authors of it. They defined it this way. They said, to provoke someone is to cause someone to feel resentment, to make resentful, or to make someone bitter. And Paul is saying to parents, don't do that to your kids. Now, how many of you, not raising our hands here, have been in a culture where provoking defined it. Mm. Like, I think about provoking, another word that hits me is harshness, that, that maybe it's been at your work, or maybe for some of you it was the family that you grew up in, where there was this culture of provoking, of embittering, of harshness. Nobody wants to be in a culture like that. And I would offer to you that all of us, parents included, would say that we don't want to create a culture like that. Are you with me? Like, we, of course, that's not our heart to do that to our kids. But when it comes to parenting, <laughs> we, or I'll say I, you can decide if you're with me or not, can be prone to creating a culture of provoking. A, a culture of harshness. That, that, that's just this, the natural instinct for me is to do that. And I would ask you why. Why is it that for us it's so much easier to be provoking, to embitter, to be harsh than it is for us to be gracious? I, I think some of this, and there's a lot we could really dig into, and I, I want to press us a little bit on this, is because there are these longings that we all have that we try to fulfill in the wrong ways. So especially as it comes to parenting, I long to be seen as capable. I, I deeply want people to see me as a good parent. I want my kids to see me as a good parent. And so what I do is really, it's like exactly what I don't want to do, but I do this, I, I provoke them, I'm harsh with them because I, I need them to give me what I deeply long to feel, which is security and value and significance. And, and I would argue any time 
we are in moments like that and we fight back or we provoke or we're harsh, what's happening in that moment is some kind of insecurity, insecurity in us is being exposed. I'd invite you to pay attention this week when, when you're triggered, like this is that new word we use now, right? When, when you're triggered, what's really happening in that moment is something is being exposed, an insecurity or a fear is being exposed in us. And what Paul, I believe, is saying here is he's, he's talking to parents and he's talking to families and he's saying, you, you are called in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be different because what should happen deep in our hearts as we put our faith in Jesus, as those deep longings that our souls have are met and fulfilled in him. And so our provoking, our harshness, our bittering should be transformed. And we'll talk this morning about this idea that what we're going to argue is that what Paul's inviting us to is to not a culture of provoking, but a culture of grace, a culture of grace. Now, to put this simply for me, and there's a lot of ways that our provoking plays itself out, but for us in two ways, what I think the way we provoke is we shut down, so that this is like the passive-aggressive parenting, or we go ballistic on them, right? If you guys are, I'm, I'm going to expose myself a little bit here. Uh, we're watching uh, Cobra Kai, which is this awful TV show, but it's one of those you can't stop watching. So we, we, I've hel- I taught Aubrey what a guilty pleasure is. This is a guilty pleasure. It's like, I can't believe I'm watching this, and now I've confessed to you that I'm watching it, which is a dangerous thing. And there are, what's awesome about the latest season is it shows all the horrible ways parents parent. And we just define them. And we're like, oh yeah, there's passive aggressive parenting. And oh yeah, there's just aggressive parenting. And I wouldn't, so I'm not telling you to go watch that show. <laughs> not saying that. I'm just saying we've seen our negative parenting skills by having watched this show. Okay, so what I want you to hear as we dive in here is that parent, we, there, are the, there are two, you know, extreme or maybe umbrella ways that we see our provoking happen. One is that we can be passive aggressive, and I think you know what that means, right? It's this when we, are, we pull away relationship from our kids, like we're so mad at them, that this, we, we distance. We want them to feel pain by distancing, or we just come at them, and, and we come with harshness and strength. So let me say it again. No one wants to be in a culture like that. And I believe, for all of us, we don't want to create a culture like that. So today we want to talk about how to create a culture of grace. And grace is an expression of love to those who are undeserving. Hear that again. This is un- grace is unconditional love. It's an expression of love to those who are undeserving. We live in a world of earning deserving and merit, earning deserving and merit, and those result in judgment, and judgment kills. Our world, earning, deserving, and merit, and that results in judgment, and judgment kills. Grace makes us alive. Grace brings freedom. It's interesting to think that God invites us 
to parent in the same way that he parents us. And today we'll get back to that at the end. Now, real quick before I turn over to Dondra, some of you are, I, there are some of you in here, I know you're starting to get nervous because you're like, Brian, I, you're about to talk about a culture of grace and I'm all good for a culture of grace, but what about discipline? And what we want to do, actually, is not make grace and discipline polar opposites. Like, that actually is the problem. That actually in grace is where discipline is applied. And we're, we're trying to reframe how we engage. And, and I want you to hear that God's unconditionally, unconditional love for us, what he wants to do is he wants to understand our hearts and see our hearts transformed. That's what it means for God to unconditionally love us. And in that, sometimes there is discipline. But, here, but here's where I'm going to get away from this, is I'm going to say, I would bet that many of us, we're, we, we're like, just tell me how to discipline so I can do it. I'm not worried about discipline in here. I'm worried about how we create a culture of grace. Because I think that's where we struggle more. And so today, what we want to do is we want to press in to that. And, and what a culture of grace, what happens is when, when we've messed up, when we've experienced a turning away or a harshness, and all that it did is provoke and embitter us, what we do is we make these covenants in our hearts, like we're never going to do that again. I'm never going to speak to them again. And so we want to talk about when we do that, what Paul says happens when we create a culture like that is it brings discouragement. And, and, the, and the literal translation of that word is to lose heart. And I wonder how many of you in here have grown up in a culture where you've lost heart. And so as we press in today, let me remind you that, that it's God the Father who invites you into a culture of grace. And these four things that we're going to talk about this morning are just a few of the many ways that God invites us into his culture of grace and then challenges us and encourages us to build a culture of grace. Yeah, and a few, a few years ago, I was kind of doing some research on um, religious values and whether children adopt the values of their parents or not. And um, not too surprisingly, but I think really interestingly, the biggest factor of whether or not children adopt and sought to live the religious values of their parents is based on the quality of the relationship they believe they had with their parents. And so if children feel honored and loved and cared for and respected, um, they're more naturally want to live the way their parents live, right? So this is not a universal principle, right? It's wisdom, but um, so it's not one that we use to judge ourselves or other families. Um, but it does provide really some helpful insight um, into some of the things that we can do to intentionally lay a foundation with our kids to continue in their faith. And that's kind of what Brian and I want to share this morning is kind of about cultivating grace in our families. So our big idea this morning is up here on the screen is that cultivating grace is how we want to show up as parents as well as how our kids need us to show up for them. Cultivating grace is how we're called to show up as parents and how our parents, how we as our kids, how our kids need us to show up for them. 
So four primary ways that we can express grace. The first one is this, awareness. Awareness. So before we can help our kids and engage with them, we need to check in on our own hearts and be aware of what's going on in the moment. And so this means how are you doing when you're engaging with your child? Are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you confused? Are you alert? Are you steady? Are you energized? Are you engaged? How are you feeling physically and emotionally? So as we think about creating a culture of grace, it really begins with us being aware. This is the way we thought about this was that it's like when you get on the plane and they say, hey, when the oxygen goes away and the masks drop, make sure you put on your mask first before you put on the mask of your kid. And, and it's, it's kind of the same principle for us here that we're saying as we think about creating a culture of grace, this is how we need to show up for our kids. We need to be aware of what's going on in our hearts because we know how we can often respond with other stuff that's happening. And Jesus actually talks about this. He says in Matthew chapter 7, be aware of the plank that's in your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's. So it's a really similar concept. Mm. And I know when my kids were younger and it was nonstop and they would be loud and whiny. They had those day, bad days, right? Um, and felt like they were defiant, my brain would just go nuts, right? And then I would get so stressed and overwhelmed. Um, and that fear and insecurity would kind of bubble up in me that if they act this way, if my kids act this way, then it must mean I'm not a good enough mom, right? And so this fear and shame would kind of hit me with this sense of urgency. And then I would immediately react with a harsh response, right, to try and get their behavior under control, um, so that I could feel better about myself, right? And so I recall with clarity the day that God helped me start to see this spiral, and naming it kind of with God really helped me to notice, like, what, what I'm really needing under all that was his reassurance of who I am and of his love and forgiveness towards me um, to reassure my heart in order so that I could then start to show up differently with my kids. And that, that's what we're, I mean, that is the picture of this whole sermon, what she just said right there, that what we need to do is receive God's grace so we can create a culture of grace. And Paul, in the book of Colossians, like the whole context of the book of Colossians is he's giving parents a new model for how we engage. And if Christ is supreme, which is the message of the book of Colossians, that Christ is sufficient, that he's enough, then what that means is, just like Donna did, she can take her insecurities and her shame and her guilt and go to the cross and let God reap his, pour his grace on her. And what did that do for her? It transformed how she can engage. And so just being aware of her own struggles, of her own insecurities, of what's going on underneath mm -hmm. is the beginning of how we show up in a culture of grace and build a culture of grace. So mm -hmm. let's talk about number two. Okay. And just to say about awareness, like just really quick, like that isn't easy. Right? Oh. Like it, <laughs> it, it sounded like that just kind of, oh, that came to me and it clicked and everything went great after that. That's not how that played out, right? But that understanding, like trying to allow God to um, open my heart to the things that were going on um, was a process in that too. And that, that is that awareness kind of helps lead us into our second point, which is attuning. Um, and when we think about attuning, we're thinking about allowing our state of mind to align with that of another. 
right? So I think of it as like this, instead of like seeing this person like this, we are aligning with them. We're trying to understand and come alongside to see what they're thinking and feeling. And, and so that when we seek to notice, understand, and join the other person in what they're experiencing, that would, that's when we're trying to attune to them. And so we see this so much with Jesus, He's, you know, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Um, that, that is attuning, right? And so some ways that we can do that would be observing the other person, like trying to slow down to connect with where they're coming from. Um, it also means setting aside our own agenda, right, um, which is very hard in order to pick up on what that person's experiencing. Um, and this is particularly challenging if that person is throwing a tantrum or yelling or pouting or, you know, doing another behavior that kind of ticks us off, right? Um, and sometimes we might need to kind of even step back a little bit and, you know, give ourselves some space or give that other person some space before we can kind of come alongside and try to attune to them and, and what they're experiencing. So, you know what's convicting to me about this? I feel like I'm better at attuning to people who are outside of my family. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and really felt pretty convicted about this as we were talking. And so to press in on this a little bit, that it's easier for me as a pastor, you know, like I can walk into these super intense and hard situations and, and engage and, and be aware of what people are feeling and, and enter into that and then go home and be like, how about you just stop it and you go away and leave me alone? <laughs> and, and do you know why that is? I think it's because it comes back to what we were saying, like this insecurity, that there's something about your, so for, talking about here with my kids, right? When they're upset or they're um, tense or they're angry, that I feel this insecurity like it's saying something about me, that I'm not doing enough, that I'm not good enough. And, and the easier way for me to respond to them is to provoke them and just say, stop it, just stop it. And, or, and this is what I'm more prone to, is the passive aggressive like just avoiding them and giving them the silent treatment and, and telling them I don't, I don't care. And so I think part of this for me is I want to think about how, you know, when my kids are struggling, instead of just avoiding it, you know, God has taught me how to engage with people and now bringing this into a more intense, more real, more vulnerable moment um, to be able to do that with my kids as well. All right, so there's... Two ways, we talked here two ways about creating a culture of gaze. Just to remind you what we're doing, Paul's command to us is don't provoke. Don't provoke. Don't embitter. Don't be harsh. Don't aggravate. And so we're asking what's the opposite of that look like or what is Paul inviting us to when it's this culture of grace where we're aware of our own things that are in our hearts, our own experiences, our own days. And then when we press in, we're attuning. We're trying to understand. We're trying to listen. And then this brings us to the third thing. Yeah, which is we want to highlight in cultivating a grace in our families. We want to think about clarifying. And once we 
we think we're understanding or kind of have a sense of what the other person is feeling through kind of that attunement, um, we can help to name those feelings. And that doesn't mean asking your kids, what were you thinking, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, what, what it does look like is kind of trying to help them find words for their feelings, help us find words for our feelings, and um, to help name those emotions that are happening inside us. It actually helps soothe our brains, which I find really fascinating and pretty intriguing and cool that God designed the different parts of our brain to work in unity or kind of integration, and that um, you know the right hemisphere, which is dominant in children, which is where the emotional part of our brain kind of functions. And then the left hemisphere, I'm doing it really opposite for you guys, but um, is where we process language and logic. And so helping our kids find words for their emotions, for their feelings, um, it helps to bring both sides of the brain together and help them work, it help our brains work in unity, which is pretty cool that God made our brains to work like, like that. I just think that's amazing. Um, and so, Although my parents, very loving, supportive people, they wanted to support me in a lot of ways, they really struggled um, in this area because I think they had limited experience in naming their own internal experiences and, and emotions. And so this was also challenging for me with my kids. And I didn't really realize how much it would help them, help my kids to talk about and name um, how the their experiences in the world, what, how it was hitting them on the inside and what emotions it was bringing up for them on the inside. Um, and so if this is a struggle for you, like it was for me, you, you can Google a, a feelings wheel, right? And Brian picked one out for us mm. and, and maybe print it out and put it on your fridge. Um, but I couldn't believe, like if you look at this on the outside rim, I couldn't believe how many emotions are on this wheel. That, that was Growing up, I could probably name like maybe the center one, maybe the center ones. Um, and so I'm still definitely working on kind of broadening my emotional vocabulary and understanding. Uh, but this definitely kind of helps with that. I remember the first time Dondra showed me this like three or four years ago. I know you got, so I know you can't really read that. So I'm sorry, but it's, but part of the beauty of this illustration is how many of us thought it was mad, glad, sad, happy, angry. Like that's, what are the five emotions? That's it, right? I really just thought it was mad or sad. So I, I you know, like I, so maybe happy too. Okay, yeah. I felt there, I thought there were three emotions. Positivity. And just happy, that's all I ever felt. And so, um, so then it's like, so part of the reason you can't read this is to, to show us like, hey, what, first of all, what you're feeling. Right? Let that sit on you for a second, because what Don was saying is how important it is for us to press on on what we're feeling. How aware are you of how beautiful it is that God designed you to feel so much? And then part of what it means to create a culture of grace is for us to help our kids understand. Hey, I remember we did a sermon, it was two years ago, and I remember when God helped me shift my thinking to stop from, we like to say, what are you thinking? And it's so much more powerful to say, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? And when they don't know, then the beauty of that is to help attune and enter in 
And then what happens in that moment is it helps us to really delight in who they are, which is our fourth thing. Yeah. Yes, so we want to talk a little bit about the fourth thing, which is delighting in. And I love this word delight because it means a, a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment. And this, this can sometimes be a tall order when we're feeling run down or tired as parents um, or as people, and especially these days. And all it really means is being more intentional about showing our kids um, and others the joy that they bring to us. Right? So the joy they bring to us, how we value their individuality and who God designed them to be. Right? And so when we show our kids that respect and honor about the, the unique way that God designed them, we give them a tremendous gift that often reverberates within their nervous system, right? Enabling them to then share that gift more easily with other people. And so I think delighting in others can happen in a lot of different ways, right? But um, a couple could look like, you know, admiring their work, enjoying their jokes and sense of humor, just smiling at them, um, getting to know their unique attributes and personality, right? And well, oh, we were talking about this, and um, you know, I I l love and hate parenting series, right? Because you start to really press in on your own heart. And I was, when we started talking about this, I had just come off of this retreat when I was with some pastors in Orlando, and specifically remember. So we're talking about making this point. Don was like, "Hey, one of the best ways for us to create a culture of grace is delight in our kids." And and then the Lord was like. Whoosh! And I was like, I was like, what I, was he I, like? I, yeah, just like that. And he, <laughs> he, he, I brought to mind, here I am standing in front of these pastors and we're sharing our stories and I'm talking about my kids and I described each of them negatively because I wanted them to laugh. And that it broke my heart that that the way that I would present my kids in any way would be to not to the delight in them. And so, I mean, this is the beauty of what the, this message is, which I'll press on you harder in just a moment too, but I will do it now, is that when God reminds us, you're safe here, you're valued here, I, I built the ultimate culture of grace. And even when you fail, even in, in your insecurity, when you have to use others for your own safety and value, come to me and in your brokenness, I'll show you that you are completely valued. And, and it's helped me now to, to think about that, to be intentional, like how can I really delight, honor, because I do love my kids so much that, and I want them to know that they're deeply delighted in. Hmm. Yeah, so to sum up, you know, I, I have some great news for us as parents that um, when we're striving for a culture or cultivating a, a culture of grace with, with others, whether it's our kids or others, research continues to show that if parents are able to attune, join, and delight and connect with their kids, they only need to do that about 30% of the time for kids to feel secure and loved. So rejoice in that number with me, right? Like, <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better because no parent can do that 100% of the time. 50% of the time is even pretty 
um, it would be pretty amazing. So it, 30% of the time, right? So God gives us a lot of margin there for error, right? In that if we can just lean into that, right? And know his grace and then be able to just to, to try to demonstrate with that with our kids. So. Yeah, and I want to build on that just a little bit. Um, so we're talking about, Paul says, don't provoke your kids. And don't embitter your kids. Don't exacerbate your kids. Don't, don't be harsh with your kids. And so we're saying, let's, let's be a culture of grace. And to be a culture of grace, we're aware, we're attuning, we're clarifying, and we're delighting. And what happens sometimes in a sermon like this, in a message like this, is you go, okay, I'm going to be gracious. And Dondra really let me off the hook because I only have to be gracious one in three times. So if I do that... <laughs> Now, then I know I'm doing it well, right? And so I want to help shape how we, we land the plane here in this message because it's really, really important um, because just, I think this is really, really significant. Part of the reason we, we now say, I'm going to go be gracious, that actually can just as much come out of insecurity and fear. So help, help, I need you guys to grasp this because it's actually really important. When I am harsh and provoke and hide from my kids, um, I'm doing that out of insecurity. If all you do in this moment is say, I'm going to try to be, be gracious. I'm just going to go do this. What actually is happening there, it can just as much come from a place of I'm not good enough. I'm not loved enough. I'm not valued enough, and I'm just going to go try harder. And you know what will happen? The same exact thing is we'll just feel more and more like failures. Because whether we provoke or, or whether we try to do something without having been and experienced it first, we'll, we'll just live in this world of insecurity and fear, and we're not enough. And so the whole book of Colossians, what does it do? It teaches us that Christ is sufficient, that he is enough that he has given us everything we need. That's what we learn for a long, long, long time. And God welcomes you and me to experience his perfect grace. He doesn't turn you away in disgust, and he doesn't lash out at you in anger. He values you. He loves you. He says it's safe here. So I want to tell you about an experience I had earlier this week that I think explains all of this, and got permission to share this story, just so you know. Um, so Aubrey, my youngest, I pick her up from school every day. And we, for those of you who have iPhones, there's a thing on your iPhone called Find Friends where you can track people's locations. So we track all of our kids' locations all the time because we love them. And, we, uh, <laughs> and, and so she has mine. So I, I text Aubrey at 2.26. I usually pick her up at 2.25. I text her at 2.26. Hey, I'm running a little late. And um, so then I go to my office. I drop some things off. It takes me a second to get out of the office. And at 2.29, Aubrey calls me, and she says, where are you? And well, she's, this might not be the first time you've ever been late. <laughs> this might not be the first time I've been late. <laughs> And it might not have been the first time I promised I'm on my way when I'm not. Thank you for, be thank you for your affirmation. Could be, could be. Could be, I mean. 
we just usually preach in hypotheticals up here. It's all we do. So, all right. So I'm, so, so I'm like, hey, I'm on my way. And Aubrey says, I can see where you are. Now, in fairness to me, I was a little further than the find the friends thing had where I was. Like, I was on the way. Okay, so what happened? I was mad. I was like, how about you never question me again? Right? I, no, wait, wait, hang on. I didn't tell you this. We hung up. We hung up. It's an important part. I'm four minutes away. We hung up, and in my heart, I was so mad, and, and I'm like, when I get her, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell her, yeah, you, you need to appreciate whether I'm here one minute early or ten minutes late that I pick you up every day from school. And then I was like, doing a sermon on culture of grace? <laughs> and so, you know what I did? I said, I'm going to ignore her. When I pick her up, I'll just ignore her. Because that's what I'm prone to. Because that's where my heart always goes. And then, I'm two minutes away. <laughs> uh, you guys, I, you know, please, if, for those of you who have been at the summit for a while, I'm thankful for the new people who are here. Like, I, I want you to hear... We struggle, like we are real sinners just like all of you and there are moments when God shows up in our lives and we need to sometimes share those stories to celebrate that. And so in this moment, the spirit of God does remind me that we're building a culture of grace. And what does God say to my heart? He says, hey Brian, even in your provoking heart, even in your anger, even in your desire to be passive aggressive and avoid your daughter, I love you. I still am glad you're my kid. I still long to be in your presence and to walk with you. So, I'm 60 seconds away, and I'm driving up, and I pull up into the parking lot of West High School, and Aubrey gets in the car, and I grab her hand, and I say, Aubrey, I'm sorry. You have the right to be frustrated with me. But I want you to know that I value you. And even though in this moment it feels like I don't, I value you, I love you, and it's safe to be frustrated here. And we wept in silence the whole way home. Because grace transformed my heart, and then it transformed my daughter's. Grace transforms. So instead of walking out of here today trying to be more gracious, what I want to invite you to in this moment right now in the power of the Spirit of God is to bring your insecurities to bring your fears, to bring all of your provoking and harshness and anger that you did yesterday to the table.
because the greatest place for us to taste the grace of God is right here. Because what we bring to this table is in our goodness, is in our greatness, is in our moments when we had a beautiful experience with our daughter. What we bring to this table is all the times we messed up. And we feel and experience and taste Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. That you may know that you are valued, that you are loved, and that you are safe. Take me. And at the end of the meal, he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And one day I'm going to return and we're going to celebrate a meal together. And at that meal, there will be no more provoking, no more harshness, no more anger. But you'll live in the beauty of the freedom from sin. But until that day, know that my grace is sufficient for you. Take and drink. Let's pray. Almighty, awesome God, your grace is sufficient for us and your goodness is beyond what we could imagine or think. So may we, in this moment, in this second, right now, in this church, in the corner of O'Fallon, be overwhelmed by your grace for us. And might we not just know it in our minds, but may we know it in our hearts that you unconditionally love us and that you say to us, because of Christ, you are valued. Because of Christ, you are safe. And because of Christ, you are loved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.